Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, almost a year after actor Will Smith jumped onto the stage of the Academy Awards to slap host Chris Rock, Rock exacts revenge with a new comedy special. And in the notoriously difficult movie industry, the independent film studio A24 has skyrocketed to success with a multi-billion dollar valuation and 18 Oscar nominations. Plus, did the hashtag and movement Oscars So White lead to this year's historic and record number of Oscar-nominated Asian performers and to long overdue recognition for veteran black actress Angela Bassett? It's our pop culture roundtable. Later in the show, no matter who wins at the Oscars, the first-time nominations of several Asian actors have already made history. The producer said the Asians were not good enough and they are not box office. But look at us now, huh? Will everything everywhere all at once bring home the gold and at the same time bring down the Asian glass ceiling? But first, joining me remotely, Michael Jeffries, Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. Hi, Michael. Hi, Callie. Also with me, Linda Liu, lecturer of sociology at UMass Boston, who specializes in cinema, media, and cultural studies. Welcome, Linda. Thanks, Callie. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have both of you. Let's dive right into these historic nominations, um, a new-looking kind of Oscar ballot this year in terms of certainly Asian performers. And then, as I've said, um, there is a, a historic recognition for veteran Black actress Angela Bassett. So let's start there. There has been a campaign for years, as you both know, called Oscar So White. A lot of struggle around that um, because of the lack of recognition for the talented performers who of color. And it's been going on. It's been going on. A couple years ago, looked like maybe a little bit better Oscars, not so white. This year, um, certainly for Asian performers who have historically really been left out of the conversation, come back, came back with a vengeance because of this uh, movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. So I want to know from you two if you think that this is directly linked to the work of Oscar So White, and um, does this kind of reputation mean something now this year, or are we just sort of, it's just a lucky break uh, for some folks? Um, I'll start with you, Michael. Yeah, I think you can link it back to the Oscar So White campaign in, in several ways. I mean, we have to remember in 2015, there were, I think, you know, zero nominations for, for people of color in the 20 of, of the twenty possible spots in the best and best actor and actress category and best supporting categories. So it was a really kind of dark time. And I think what, what we saw then were a few things. One is 
you saw more and more people talking about it both within the industry and outside the industry. So instead of something that was a well-known fact within the industry, and by well-known fact, I mean people being typecast, studios not wanting to take risks on uh, directors of color and actors of color, it started to become a national story, right? I mean, this wasn't just industry insiders talking about it. It became a story that everyday fans were talking about on Twitter and social media and other places. And then I think the other thing that we've seen since then is that kind of myth that you know you can't have a blockbuster film with an Asian lead or with a black person who's a lead, or uh, if they were leads, they had to be typecast in spe into specific roles. That has completely disappeared. I mean, when you look at films like Moonlight and you look at films like Crazy Rich Asians, which of course was a few years ago, uh, once you saw how much money those films were making, the studios kind of had to respond in part because they were already kind of in crisis dealing with competitors and Netflix and Hulu and all those things. So it's a confl confluence of factors, I think, that led to more risk-taking, uh, the dispersion of studios, the fact that these that you could no longer argue that these films wouldn't make money, and the public shame led to all of this stuff. And I think the most important factor, right, is that the talent has always been there. I mean, I hate that we could turn this into a situation where it's all about what studio executives did and not about what the creative folks did. Because really what this should be is a celebration of their talent, their skill and all of the hard work, how many years running, right? How many years in the making this success has been? I mean, when you talk about Yo and Angela Bassett, these are women who have spent their lives in this industry doing really good work and they deserve the credit and the attention. And uh, Michelle Yeoh will be the first Asian actress in a best actress category. Um, and certainly if she, she just to be, just the nomination is historic, but to win would be amazing. And, um, Angela Bassett is in a supporting actress category, but she's the first uh, person to be nominated for a Marvel, from a Marvel film, because, you know, that's fiction upon fiction, and people have not thought of Marvel films as, I guess, worthy of, of some of these acting nominations, but there she has it. So historic nominations, both of them. Now, your response to Oscar So White made an impression or not? I definitely agree with Michael. I think um, Oscar So White has really influenced this year's Oscars um, for all of the things that he's been talking about. Um, and I also think that um, this year, I think really the best and the most interesting film to me is Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's just, um, it's so innovative. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Um, the not really for the kind of sci-fi fantasy aspect of it, but what I thought was so great about it was that it takes this very um, kind of relatable immigrant um, kind of mother-daughter story, intergenerational kind of um, divide and distance and reconciliation. Um, and it's able to weave that in a really kind of um, unexpected way throughout this uh, sci-fi um, kind of time world jumping film. And it still manages to be really kind of poignant and capture the immigrant experience um, really well. Well, I don't have to tell you all, uh, they've been cleaning up across every um, um, awards category. Most recently at the Independent Film Awards, they big, 
big awards for all of the independent actors themselves and then the ensemble work that they did on Everything Everywhere all at once. Something else happened at the uh, Independent Spirit Awards, which I think speaks to what we're talking about now. Um, And that is the opening up of a little bit more space for representation as a result of the intensity of Oscar So White and, as Michael has said, the universal understanding of what that meant. So here's actress Cheryl Lee Ralph, uh, who presented at the recent film Independent Spirit Awards and celebrated the diversity of the nominees. So when I stand here tonight, having lost Best Supporting Actress in Television to I.O., I have to honestly say, that's what change looks like. And thank you, Independent Spirit Awards. Cheryl Lee Ralph, if people don't recognize the name, um, was uh, famously in the original Dreamgirls movie and is now a, a wonderful actress on Abbott Elementary, which is a very successful television series on ABC, which also has won every single award. So for her to acknowledge that, you know, this, this, what it means is that the door is open for everybody um, when you finally acknowledge, you know, the, the talent of everybody. So I thought that was a, a great thing. Um, now, back to Michelle Yeoh and everything, everything all at once. She's spoken over many uh, of the award ceremonies, Michael, about what it means to have been in her shoes and have been passed over, as you pointed out, many, many years. Here's a note from the New York Times. Of the 1,808 acting award nominees ever in Oscar history, only 23 identified as Asian. This is before this year, and just four have won. So that's the competition. Here's Michelle Yeoh. This is part of her acceptance speech, talking about her, her being nominated for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy Motion Picture. This is also for all the shoulders that I've stand on, all who came before me who looks like me, and all who are going on this journey with me forward. So thank you for believing in us. That was from the 2023 Golden Globe Awards, which is supposed to be an indicator, Michael, of who wins at the Oscars. What do you think? Would it be like crazy if she didn't win at this point? It would be surprising, for sure. I mean, there's so much public sentiment. And again, it's important to understand the public sentiment is driven by the performance that she gave, right? This is not just about uh, rewarding someone out of obligation. This is about recognition of excellence. And I don't want that to get lost here, right? This isn't some kind of token recognition that, that she's getting. She's getting the recognition that she deserves. And, you know, foregrounding this history, you know, I think is really, really important. Is it Was it James Hong who also? Yes, made, yeah. yes. So, 94 years That's old right. um, and one of the other actors in the movie. Made another very powerful speech during an awards acceptance, uh, uh, during during his award acceptance, and talked about how long he's been in the business and talked specifically about the racist history of the film industry, the film entertainment industry, directed toward Asian folk and Asian Americans. And understanding that history is crucial here because we have to understand that this is deeply rooted. This is not just like some, you know, uh, mistake that happens by chance, has happened by chance over the past few years. There's a deep industry-wide history of stereotyping, of discrimination, of disregard, and it's wrapped up in all of the common stereotypes that Asian Asians and Asian American folk face in this country every day uh, about uh, being either over-sexualized, 
uh, about if you're uh, an Asian American man uh, not being masculine enough to really occupy a hyper-masculine space in film. Uh, all of these things are flowing through the history of Asians in the American film industry. And we're starting to see finally uh, some cracks in those narratives. And the reason, again, the reason that we're seeing them are twofold, right? One is the excellence of the people who are working in these roles. And two is the irrefutable proof that people want to see these films and there's a financial reason to invest in them. So I think that's the future. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's the future, Linda? you agree? Yes, I definitely think it's the future. Um, I think there's been um, enough films that have shown that um, Asian audiences are there um, and not just Asian audiences, um, you know, all kinds of audiences are ready to see uh, films about Asians led by Asians and that these films can uh, be, be really, really, really creative, um, really wonderful um, and just as wonderful as, um, as, you know, other films that are helmed by, um, you know, white casts and white uh, leads. And to your earlier point, Linda, just as universal, because the movie really is about a mother-daughter story. <laughs> I mean, after all all the other stuff going around it, it's really a mother-daughter story. Right. That's that's kind of what I love about it. <laughs> um, I, I kind of I kind of think of um, every everything everywhere all at once is a kind of joy luck club for the for the 2020s. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Linda Liu, sociology professor at UMass Boston, and Michael Jeffries, professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. We're discussing the Oscars for our Pop Culture Roundtable. Uh, connected to this film is a studio that a lot of people have never heard of. So the studio is called 824, A24. Sorry, um, It's an independent film studio. They are the people that um, backed everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, they're kind of stealth. A lot of people don't know much about them. They were the ones that allowed Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinhardt. These are the folks that were the directors of this, of the movie. Also Emerson grads, Emerson College grads right here in Boston, to develop their idea as they did and go with it. And they, by all accounts, were very hands-off. Uh, this year, that independent film studio, Linda, has 18 Oscar nods. 18. <laughs> they just, for a lot of people, will be surprised to see how they came out of nowhere, it seems. Uh, there are three co-owners of it, or three founders, rather. And they've been up for, award, up for awards in the past, but sort of quietly in the background doing their thing. Michael, you mentioned Moonlight. That was one of their films. Other A24 hits, Spring Breakers, Ex Machina, The Lobster, which was a big cult fa favorite, Room with Brie Larson. In fact, she made, I think she won an Oscar for her role in that. So here they are. They're a big little studio, I guess it would be the way to describe them. They just made news again recently by purchasing the Cherry Lane Theater in New York. That's just a regular theater company. Um and have not said why they want to have it. They're very kind of close to the vest. But when you see the impact of this little studio, I think it's pretty amazing. Linda, what do you say? I think it's a it's a really kind of um, underdog <laughs> story. Um, but uh, what what I kind of love about it is that they're they're really just focused on really interesting films, like really interesting screenplays, and they don't worry about well. 
this is going to appeal to um, the largest audience possible. Michael, the founders are David Finkel, Daniel Katz, and John Hodges. Some They had all different careers before. They say they have extensive art film experience, and they're very close to the vest. You can, they're not talking. So what do you think about A24? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, you, you've emphasized that they don't really want to talk about themselves too much. <laughs> and I think that's part of their philosophy. Um, they've built up a reputation as studio executives who really don't interfere on the creative front. Like they kind of let the artists do their thing, right? They don't try to interfere with the creative process. And I think that, you know, that sort of matches their philosophy of not trying to be out there too much in the public eye. It's not about the executives. It's about the artists and the films these people are making. So that's one that's one piece of it. Um, I think another piece of it is that they really do stand out as a studio for the reasons you mentioned. When all of the other bigger, more traditional studios are invested in the prequel and sequel model, right? Or the, you know, they, they need to get into the comic book space because they know they're risk averse and they already know there's an audience for these comic book films. Uh, the way they're thinking is is so different from that way of thinking. It helps them stand out, especially in this moment, right? When everything is like, you know, it's everything is a sequel or everything is a prequel or it's a nostalgia film that calls back to some earlier era. Um, they're not afraid to make different choices and take different risks. And the other thing about them is, you know, the kind of traditional modeling for uh, model for marketing and advertising these films. You know, they're not really doing the the kind of big billboard television campaign uh, thing. There have been, you know, several several commentators have noted how active they've been on social media, how they're willing to partner with uh, clothing brands to release like limited edition uh, clothes as sort of a more kind of grassroots and kind of cutting edge and hip approach to marketing rather than the kind of big in your face, here's a billboard on the highway, our movie is coming out. So so there's a combination of marketing and advertising strategy that matches the kind of uh, the mood they're trying to strike as this trendy uh, underground space for creative types. And I will just put a button on this and note that they are three white guys and that their biggest hits at this point have been films that feature a lot of diversity. So Moonlight being one, and that cuts across many areas because, no, not a spoiler, but it was about um, um, uh, a young man finding out, delving into his sexuality as a gay man, and he was black, and there's a lot of black characters in that film, lead characters, and now we have everything everywhere all at once, uh, and then you could go on with the rest of their with the rest of the of the films that they have greenlighted. But that, to me, when you both talk about looking toward the future, that's futuristic, and they're already on doing it. So, speaking of talented folks, Rihanna really uh, is coming into her own this year. Again, <laughs> she's already been doing it. She's a billionaire, so she never has to work again, by the way, because of Fenty Cosmetics. But she did a fantastic show at the Super Bowl. And then she's up for performing at the Oscars uh, program. So she will be singing the song from Wakanda Forever called Lift Me Up that she wrote along with uh, Tim's a African artist, Ludwig Goreson, who is the scorer for um, that works with Ryan Coogler and Ryan Coogler himself. Beautiful song. 
So she'll be singing that. Before you guys uh, respond to just all things Rihanna and, and what's happening with her, here she is with Entertainment Tonight backstage after the Super Bowl halftime show press conference talking about, you know, how all of this feels. You know, it really feels like a lot's happening all at once. It feels like motherhood, Oscars, Super Bowl. I'm still pinching myself, really. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Michael, what do you see from Rihanna's? Um, she's not. It's not a new thing. She's just just been a little quiet because she's been birthing a child. So. Yeah, I think I think what we're witnessing is someone who's moving into the next phase of their career of her career. Um, you know, she started really as a as a pop artist on a more traditional label, um, and then she became a business mogul and a, a hugely successful entrepreneur with with Fenty. And to me, what's interesting about this is. With her last few performances, with the Super Bowl performance and with the um, upcoming performance at the awards show, um, she's signaling, I think, to some of her fans that she's not going to give up the music stuff. You know, sometimes when there's a transition into executive and into film, the music sort of takes a back seat. But I think the way her fans reacted to her Super Bowl performance, which I think there were some mixed reactions. I think some fans felt she didn't she wasn't really the most energetic on stage. But then other fans felt that the outfit, the statement about um, that she was making as a as a as a about motherhood as a because she performed when she was pregnant. Um, I think that those kinds of things have really resonated with fans and present some new opportunities for her to. Uh, style herself as a musical artist in addition to all the other things she does in the business. So like I said, I think what we're seeing here is the start of the next phase of her career. And for her fans, that's really exciting because she doesn't seem to be giving up the music piece. She also uh, did a little sly reference to the billion billionaire business she's uh, created by uh, using her uh, compact on the stage while she was performing. She pulled out a compact and everybody went wild because they knew that was a reference to Fenty, her billion-dollar business. Linda, what say you about Rihanna? I think Rihanna is one of these um, super women who is able to do it all, those those mythical um, super women. Um, I don't think I've ever seen or met one in real life, but I think she uh, might be the closest to one. Um, and so, I, I yeah, I, I just think it's amazing that she's um, able to do that well, one more Oscar-related um, story. The slap heard round the world. <laughs> Last year, um, Chris Rock took the brunt of Will Smith's anger. Uh, Will Smith uh, went on the stage, as many billions of people now have seen, and slapped him and sa- said to him, keep my wife's name out of your expletive mouth. Um, Smith was reacting to what he perceived and many others did as an insult to his wife, Jada Smith, the actress, who has alopecia, which means you lose your hair. And Rock had made a, quote, joke about the fact that she didn't, that she was bald. So that's how that went down. In the meantime, there's been a lot of apology from Will Smith. He's been banned for 10 years from the Oscars. Many, 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 many people have commented on it, um, supporting him, not supporting him, hating her, whatever. And the whole time, everybody's been asking Chris Rock, what do you, what do you say, what do you say? And he said nothing until now. Um, he literally waited until the week before the Oscars before he responded. And he did so in a very well-paid Netflix special. Let's take a listen. Y'all know what happened to me, getting smacked by Shook Smith. 
Everybody knows. I got summertime ringing in my ear. So he went on, the, the Netflix special itself is a little bit controversial. He definitely addressed the slap, but he, some of the other topics and the way that he addressed them has not gone over well. And there are a lot of folks that say he allegedly went after Will in this way, but he really um, kind of humiliated Jada and, you know, she, why, <laughs> she, she didn't slap him. Uh, Will did. So I'd love to know what you all think about in terms of the the pop culture-ness of it, um, that the fact that Chris Rock has come out with this mixed-reviewed special for a lot of people, um, but has finally re- responded to the slap. Yeah, so I like where you started, Callie, because you noted the timing of this release and the degree to which this is, has been orchestrated by Rock, right? The The almost complete silence about it up until this moment the very well compensated Netflix special timed for release right around award season. It's put the spotlight back on. So as a timing sort of from a timing and marketing perspective, it's a kind of a brilliant stroke of self-promotion that he was able to kind of time it up and release it right now. Um, So that's the first thing is trying to read this within the context of what does it do for his, his star, right? The attention that he's getting and what does it do for him sort of financially and 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 the kind of relevance the continued relevance of chris rock as a pop cultural figure that's the that's one of the first things that strikes me about it the second thing is you know i think those of us who are hoping for some sort of uh resolution or at the very least some sort of different angle on it than what we've all been discussing for the past year we're pretty disappointed because what we got was um a return to uh a kind of thinly veiled criticism or anxiety about uh, Jada's sexuality, right? And the way that she expresses herself. We got um, um, another kind of exercise in emasculinization um, or the criticism of of Will Smith. You know, he uh, referred to, he didn't personally refer to Smith as the B word, but he made sure to say that everybody else was referring to Smith as the B word. Right. So stuck within the same cycle of uh, masculine contest, uh, the need to kind of dominate someone. If you can't dominate them physically, you have to dominate them rhetorically. So stuck in the same kind of cycle of gender performance that to me was just it's a bit tired. It didn't add anything to the conversation. And I think it keeps us in a place of stereotype rather than a fresh approach an analysis of why did this happen? How was it received by the public? I didn't really feel like I gained any insight from the rock performance. I felt like we were just um, traveling down roads that we had traveled in uh, for decades and decades when it comes to this stuff. Uh, Linda, a lot of criticism from folks of color, Black people specifically, about the misogyny and, um, you know, that whatever his point was trying to be got lost because here he is... um, coming at uh, Jada Smith particularly, and then, as Michael has said, uh, Will Smith, almost secondarily in this, um, in a way that is just, really? What's the point of it? How how do you see it? Just reading about the misogyny, I think that that's really disturbing, and I I don't know why he's continuing to do this. So, yeah, I, I, I I just don't see anything has changed. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Linda Liu, sociology professor at UMass Boston, and Michael Jeffries, professor of American studies at Wellesley College. We're talking about the latest pop culture news. 
Let me end on a more uplifting uh, note. Uh, Creed Three. That's the third iteration of the Rocky Balboa films. Well, the, the continuation of the sequels of the Rocky Balboa films. There were three of those. It's now th- th- the third one is directed by Michael B. Jordan, the actor who started in the last Creeds, which are follow-ups. Um, this will be the first one that does not feature Sylvester Stallone as Rocky and also allows uh, or Michael P. Jordan took on the, the, the task of directing. The good news is that it just has blown everybody out of the water in terms of the money it's made, uh, which, as we know, in Hollywood is really the big deal. Um, This is a clip of the trailer for Creed III. I spent the last seven years of my life living out my wildest dreams. Bianca. Rocky. My dad. This is built on their shoulders. The reason I wanted to play that and and cite it as uplifting is now Michael B. Jordan has some agency uh, more than he came into the project with to do other projects. He has his own production company, um, and he's already said he wants to do that. And this is kind of powerful to be at a place where he can now call the shots on materials and stories that maybe we haven't seen before. So respond to... Michael B. Jordan as a potential powerhouse here in the production arena of uh, of Hollywood. And by the way, he is one of the people who signed that um, disclosure or that 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 um, uh, it's a it's a clause to make sure that there is representation across the board um, in all uh, aspects of filmmaking in your project. He's he's one of the ones who did that. Yeah, I think it's been a long time coming. Um the potential that he showed very early in his career, right? From some of his earliest films was obvious for everyone. But I like where you ended, Callie, about the fact that he's already been outspoken about some of the power dynamics and the inequities and the need for better representation in the industry because that kind of speech and that kind of stance could have labeled him as like a troublemaker or someone who was quote unquote obsessed with race and therefore, you know, wasn't going to be as skilled an artist or as good of a business person, right, because they were too, quote unquote, too obsessed with race. But what this has shown is that that notion that you can somehow take your identity out of your art uh, or that you need to take your identity out of your art to be considered either uh, a true artist or a smart business person uh, is just false, right? I mean, he understands the importance of representation, and now he's going to have the opportunity to spread that uh, beyond films that he stars in. He's going to be able to support other people uh, who have visions and and ideas that are that are different from his because he knows that uh, our strength is going to be in our diversity if the film industry is going to continue to evolve. So, Linda, he could turn into A24, another one. Oh, yeah, that would be really interesting with sort of like a like a more focus on, um, on racial diversity. And or just the fact that he would have the opportunity to create many kinds of uh, of uh, films and um, projects that maybe wouldn't have gotten a, another look similar to the kind of thing that A24 is doing. Yeah, I, I think we definitely need more of those. Well, are you a Creed person? A Creed 1, 2, or 3 person? I saw Creed. I wasn't. I saw Creed 1, <laughs> yeah. and I saw all of the um, the Rockies before that. So I am mm-hmm. I am kind of a um, I'm more of a Rocky person, but I, I do plan on seeing um, the Creed two and Creed three and especially Creed three now that um, 
it seems like it's gotten so much buzz and is is um, doing so well. It's doing very well. So I like an uplifting ending. <laughs> so I want to thank uh, uh, both of you for joining me for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Callie. Michael Jeffries is the Dean of Academic Affairs and Professor of American Studies at Wellesley College. And Linda Liu is a lecturer of sociology at UMass Boston who specializes in cinema, media, and cultural studies. Coming up, four Asian actors have been nominated in tonight's Oscar Awards. One of them, Michelle Yeoh, has already made history as the first Asian female to be nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role for her part in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Will these historic nominations be instrumental in opening the door for more Asian representation in films? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley.